Wicked Cool. Feature alert. Hey there, podcast fans. Thanks for listening. Now, you can also reach out and send me a text message. On every episode at the top of the show notes, you'll see a link that says, send us a text message. Simply click it, write something super nice and sweet, and away we go. Also remember to please subscribe, share this podcast with a friend by telling them about it, and leave us a positive review, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast streaming service, or even on our website at www.afraidofnothingpodcast.com. Hello, this is the voice of God. For all of you non-believers out there who keep wondering about an afterlife, well, I have a simple solution. Go to Amazon Prime and watch the Afraid of Nothing documentary. You'll have your answer. And please do leave a positive review. Those who don't, well, you'll be dead. And for those of you who say you don't know how to leave a review on Amazon Prime, for God's sake, grow up! You learned how to walk, you learned how to talk, you learned how to listen to a podcast. You can leave a review on Amazon Prime. All right, enough preaching, even from God. Now, on to our show. In a world where nothing is known, nothing is certain. Reality is not real. Wake up! Be afraid of nothing. I'm Bob Heskey. Robert. The host with the ghost. This is my podcast, based on my paranormal documentary, Afraid of Nothing. Each episode, we talk to people who see life and the afterlife through a different lens. Join me. Who is this large man? And what's he doing in our bedroom? As we lift the veil and open our minds to see beyond our eyes lie. This is Afraid of Nothing. All right, we have with us a familiar face to me and to those who have seen the Afraid of Nothing documentary. His name is Kyle Carvin. He was in a segment where we went to Salem and did a witch tour of Salem. We talked to a past life regressionist, and then we talked to a witch. And there's some interesting insights from that. Before I go into it, you if you didn't watch Afraid of Nothing, Kyle has over 100 credits on his IMDb page. And this is some of the shows he's been on. NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles. NCIS New Orleans, The Walking Dead, MacGyver, American Made with Tom Cruise, Modern Family, Grimm, Criminal Minds, The Mentalist, Days of Our Lives, Law and Order, As the World Turns, Rescue Me, and of course, The Assault of Sasquatch. Welcome, Kyle Carvin. <laughs> the, the, the plug for the Sasquatch is perfect. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's got, I got to tell you, it, is that? I assume that's one of your indie projects. Because you're you, you're a guy that does TV, major films, and also indie as well. Was that an indie project that you worked on? That was like, uh, yeah, it's basically an indie. It was, uh, man, that was so long ago. But that was like one of my favorites. That was like one of the first horror movies that I was able to get into. And I was so stoked. And it was the first time that I got to work with this particular production company, which I was trying to for so many years. And uh, so it was just that project is like a special, special little place in my heart, Sasquatch. Uh, that's awesome. It leaped out at me. You know, one question I have for you as an actor, we'll go over some actor questions first, and then we'll get into the paranormal stuff. But which is more intimidating, doing an audition or walking onto the set of like The Walking Dead and being with the live actors for your first day on the set. <laughs> well, it's uh, you know over the years that that answer has definitely changed. Walking onto sets 
is, uh, or I should say was pretty scary. Like there's still a little bit of nerves going into it because you don't know who you're basically going to be working with in a way, especially when, you know, I'm not the star of a show or anything. So I'm basically walking into other people's shows and you never know what kind of egos you have to deal with or, or personalities. Thankfully, the majority of people that I've I've worked with are all have all been really cool. So, and, and same with auditions, they can be depending on the project. Sometimes it's scary, sometimes it's not. But that that's all you know. It's self pressure, and it's a, like a little story that the Tom Cruise movie that I did, American Made. If I had I I, I was a, a lazy actor, is what I should say. For that one, I didn't even look up the movie that I was auditioning for, which is like kind of a big no-no for some actors. They're like, how can you not research what you're auditioning for? But I I got in this mindset of like, when I started looking up to seeing who was, in, who was on the project, then my nerves would start because I'd uh, you know want to be on that project, obviously, for a chance to work with Tom Cruise. So I didn't even look it up. And even when I booked it, I didn't know what it was. And I didn't know I was working with Tom Cruise until the day that I arrived on the set. <laughs> so then, then obviously I start to get a, a little nervous because <laughs> I just yeah. have no idea what to expect. But uh, thankfully, I've just been—I'm like a, an old cranky actor now. <laughs> so it's like uh, the audition process, and you know, going on to something new. It's not really nerves anymore. It's—it's it's more just excitement than anything else. Yeah. So how did the uh, Tom Cruise scene go? You're in a cockpit with him, right? So how was that? Did that go pretty normal? Did you have extra takes, or was it pretty smooth? No, it was, uh, it was actually really smooth. The uh, the process was pretty simple. We were in and out in, I want to say, three to four hours. We just had this one scene. Uh, and I was actually really impressed with 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 uh, Tom because so the scene is basically we're doing a pre-flight, a pre-flight checklist. And for the audition, I have this five or six things that I'm going down this checklist. And Tom Cruise is kind of his responses are check. Check. Yep, ready to go. Simple, simple responses to simple things like windows, landing gear. Yeah, it's up. So it was, it was relatively simple. But then on the day we're filming, the director Doug Lyman, he's like, "Let's just lose the script. Let's go with an actual, the actual uh, checklist, which I conveniently had right in front of me in the cockpit. <laughs> so I, I, so I basically literally read the actual." list. Meanwhile, Tom Cruise, he has to learn on the spot the correct responses to each of these. And it's not, yes, ready to go. It's like some of them were kind of complicated. So he had to like literally uh, learn these responses and he did it in like five to 10 minutes. And I was impressed with how quick he did that. But I guess, you know, that's, I mean, that's why he's Tom Cruise, I guess. So well, he's, a, he's a pilot too, right? He flies. He's, is he a pilot as well? I'm not sure. He might be. That would, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that would make yeah. sense. So there you go. Now, for uh, trivia fans of The Walking Dead, you want to tell them your little kind of record that you hold on The Walking Dead? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Walking Dead is like the the highlight of my career, personally, like my personal goals. So I have a, the dubious record of the most kills by a non-main character. And I think it's 34. This little little record that I even know about, but you know the fans of the show... They keep track of that stuff. So. <laughs> so how many shows did it take for you to kill? Was it one or how many episodes were you on? Well, you see me in one. I'm credited for two episodes. So I'm not over the course of basically the ending of one episode and then the beginning of another. And I'm basically, I don't know, I'm not too familiar with guns, but it's just one of those that's sitting on a turret and it's a huge, it's just huge uh, gun and it's just yeah. like spraying bullets everywhere. So it didn't take long, like less than five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great part. Yeah. Now you also, just stay in the horror for a little bit, you, uh, it was about a year or so ago, you directed your own horror film. And you want to tell us about that and the cast in that? Sure. Um, that was at the end of 2018, I believe. And it was a film called Dolls, which um, a lot of people think it has to do with Stuart, I'm, I'm forgetting the, the full name of the original back from like the 80s or the late 70s. There's a film called Dolls. This is not like a remake. It didn't have anything to do with it. And it was actually when we filmed it, it was called Attic Dolls. It's just one of the uh, distributors name title changes. But uh, anyway, yeah, that was the first feature I got to direct. Uh, shot that out in LA. And we had D Wallace, which you know a lot of 
Look, people know her. She's famous from being an ET and the mom on ET and multiple, multiple other projects. So she was like the big name in the film, but uh, that was an awesome experience to, to get to do horror because that's like one of the driving reasons why I got into the business was to make horror films. Did you have a cameo in that? I'm trying to remember. I did. I didn't show my face. I just didn't want to um, necessarily be like, oh, that's the director's cameo if anybody knew me. Yeah. So I kind of, kind of didn't want that distraction. I don't know if it would have been a distraction, but... <laughs> your voice then? Anyway. I'm trying to remember. What was it? Your voice? Or what, was, what did we... It's, uh, I walk into a room, but I kind of framed it so you don't see who's walking into the room. Right. So okay. it's basically right. my, my neck down. Yeah. yeah. The good parts. There you go. <laughs> By the way, that was Stuart Gordon was a director on on Dolls from yeah, Stuart yeah, Gordon. Cool. How That's long right. did that take yeah. from? Well, first, how did you get the opportunity, and how long did it take from start to get it in the can? Because I thought it was kind of quick, wasn't it? Or compared to most films, yeah, it was really quick. So over the past uh, three or four years prior to that, uh, I was working with my friend uh, Robert Michael Ryan, and and we were doing these short films, um, like three minute films kind of like an anthology series. And we just did super sweet, short little horror films. And we put them up on YouTube. And then a mutual friend of ours, who's a producer out in LA, and he mostly does horror films. Sometimes he does action films. His name is Jeff Miller. And he he's like on the business end of things. And he saw some of our films and he thought that one of them matched the tone of of a film that he was getting ready to produce. So he asked us to get involved. So it took maybe three to four months from when we first started talking about it to right up until we started filming. We had filmed only 13 days. I think it was what it was. Oh, that's fast. That is fast. Yeah. And they wanted, well, they wanted it done, you know, for business purposes. It was the, the following summer. Uh, the new Annabelle film was coming out. Right. So, you know, they want to take advantage of the Haunted Doll movie coming out and just use the, the the momentum of that kind of free PR. So that's why they wanted to knock out this Dolls film really quick. So from the time we shot it, the first two weeks of December, it was finished and delivered, um, I think, on February 8th. So it was a super quick process. Yeah, it, it looked good. I mean, it was really good production value. And want to tell people where they can watch it? Yeah, that's on Amazon Prime. It did end up making it to some shelves, Walmart in particular. I'm not sure where else. I imagine it'll end up at a dollar bin somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you can you can watch it on on Amazon Prime. Cool. And what about the short series where we kind of throw we throw in plugs intermittently? But what about the sure. shorts? Where can they see that if they want to see some of your horror shorts? So all that stuff is on SalemHouseFilms.com, um, and we we're going to continue to put up just free stuff up there as well. So. You can check out the the short films there. Cool. Now to the juice. You you were in uh, you were in the documentary Afraid of Nothing. You came to me from actually a psychic, <laughs> which sounds kind of mystical <laughs> in itself. Right. But uh, Ruthie Ruthie Larkin, the Beantown medium, mentioned you, and we connected, and you came out and we did so look afraid of nothing is kind of like an anthology of different people and personalities and a kind of different perspectives and lens on the supernatural and spirituality and the afterlife and then we try to stitch it together to hopefully have some kind of common thread at the end but you were unique in that you were kind of a seeker you were a person that uh i'll start it and let you finish it but basically you've always had a kind of a weird connection to salem mass but you didn't grow up in Massachusetts. You grew up in New York, and you've kind of, but you've always had a calling to that to that town. So with that, I'll leave it to you to kind of fill in the rest and how you met Ruthie, and then we'll talk about your day on the set. I'm from middle of New York State. It's about three and a half hours northwest of New York City, a small town called Oneonta, New York. And the first time I went to Salem, I was 14, and I went with my mom, who was, she was a... Um, in my church youth group, and she decided to do a trip with a group of us. We went there, and even when I was 14, I just didn't know what I liked about the town. I couldn't really put anything into words, but there was just something that I just loved about it. And we ended up going back, the same church group. I don't know if it was the following year or it was two years later. And basically, from those those first two trips, I just decided, like, I need to, I just have to come back to Salem as much as I can. And then when I went uh, 18 and I actually stayed pretty local for college, but I would go to Salem, which was, a, it was like a four to four and a half hour drive. And I would go there as much as I could 
during college and I never knew what it was. There, there was something about the town where, and I, what I like to describe it to people um, is like, there's, I don't know if it's true for all people, but there's like, I'm a really happy guy. I, I'm usually always in a really good mood. I'm, I'm generally just happy demeanor, but there's always something like inside of me that just feels like, you know, that home of the past that we all kind of leave behind. Like the, what some people may say, it's like the innocence of childhood or when we don't have the, uh, the, the responsibilities of adulthood and paying bills and all the stuff that weighs us down as we, as we get older. But there, there's something that's just missing inside of me. And when I'm in Salem, it's, it's this weird feeling that, I, that, that that disappears and I feel like I'm, quote, home. I feel like I'm in a place where I could just sit in the town and be perfectly happy, not doing anything at all. And, and it's and that feeling every time I'm there, it, it continues. So I never knew that there was more to why I felt that way until I don't remember the year, but one of my friends in Boston, his name's Fred Grandinetti, and he got me a reading with uh, Ruthie, Beantown Medium, for Christmas one year. And we ended up chatting, ch- chatted with Ruthie, and she brought up the fact that she said I had a, had a past life dating, um, you know, back to the the Salem witch trials, and that I had a connection. And she said some pretty specific things that I was a character that was uh, I was a person that was actually murdered during the witch trials for trying. I think it was she was I, I said I was trying to protect somebody. Or I was trying to um, defend innocent people, or something like that, and I ended up getting murdered. I don't know if it was directly related to what was going on at that time, or if it was unrelated. And then after after talking with Ruthie about that, and I met, or I had another reading with another psychic, and they mentioned that they feel like I have some sort of past life connection to Salem as well. So it's it's come up a, a couple times now. Now, did you do psychic readings before Fred set you up with that one, or or was that your first time? And then it's like, wow, this is kind of interesting. No, I actually had done them um, two or three times in the past, but it was more of a, you know, I didn't really like. For example, I think one of the first two trips that I took to Salem with the, the youth group, I remember um, having one in Salem, and I don't remember anything about it. I do remember they said my current girlfriend I would not be with, and that came true. <laughs> but I don't, I don't remember my other readings. But uh, Ruthie's was the first time that I like really started taking things seriously, and that uh, really stemmed from she asked me if I wanted to contact anybody in particular, and I had just lost my stepfather not long before we had talked, and she brought up some some details about him that really made me think that there's there's something really. Uh, mysterious with her and her connection to to me and and knowing what's going on. Yeah, she's in the film too, and, and um, she'll be on the show hopefully in the somewhat near future. She usually doesn't do shows, but she has an affinity for us. Thanks, thank God. <laughs> uh, but she really she she's well regarded. Uh, she's really well regarded as a medium. She's particularly known for grieving parents who have lost children. She does a lot of work helping them, and I've been to actually a couple. I was at least once I was at a full day training session and yeah, I've seen her for live and she's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, she couldn't be there on the day that we were filming, but the day we filmed, we did three things and I'm just going to kind of set it up and ask you to kind of talk about your, your perspective on it. And, uh, and the last one was kind of interesting because it was with a witch and she actually picked up some stuff, uh, that added on to what Ruthie said, but we'll start with, first of all, was Dr. Vitka, which was actually the last guest I, I just finished editing and posted yesterday. And he has, man, he has an insight into Salem that it was even deeper than I thought. <laughs> um, oh, wow. But he, yeah, he took us on a tour, right? And about the witch tours. And uh, why don't you just talk about any, anything that kind of like popped out from your your time on that, that witch tour that we went to different sites in Salem? Yeah, that was, that was a, a cool experience. I had done, you know, multiple tours of the city over the years. So I had heard a lot of the stories that, that he mentioned. But hearing what you have to say, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to talk to him again because I'm sure I think he's been there for a really long time and he oh, definitely God, yeah. knows a few things. But yeah, walking around the city when we were doing when we were doing the documentary, it was kind of like meeting different um, people in the town, uh, hearing what they do and what they practice, and then just kind of feeling if I felt anything in particular, like um, 
emotionally or, or if I was sensing anything personally. And I didn't notice anything particularly specific while we were doing the documentary. But um, yeah, it was it was great to to just meet everybody, and uh, everybody had like unique a unique spin on their experiences of of what happens after we die. Yeah, and and his what he did is he kind of set up the witch thing. It was him and another person named Tim McGuire, who's a historian as well. And he was kind of talking about he took us to a couple places like the, the site of Bridget Bishop's house, which was actually a restaurant, I think, when we were if you, when we were on site there. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, he took us to different places. He took us to a uh, kind of a prison area where they were kept captive, and he gave a, t- a ton of background of what it was, and also that it was like very you know that if you sided against the you know the accusers it was very easy for them to accuse you he gave us kind of the background of salem at that point and then we went and met with a woman named susan dame green who was a past life regressionist now we went to her office which was like the second floor of the uh, post office and she couldn't like do a past life regression on you but you basically sat down and interviewed her and asked her about her process so i want to tell us a little bit about how that went yeah that was uh that was really really interesting i had never met anybody that had done that specific practice before, and what was most interesting to me were actually some of the uh, some of the conversation behind. Uh, well, the the cameras weren't rolling. I don't think you know there was a conversation, and you can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, but we were talking about like uh, re- the the process of reincarnation, and I was asking how how does that work, and and she you know she talked about the different levels. Basically, you come uh, here as you know your spirit. And you learn different lessons along the way, and then you kind of graduate, if you will. And these are my words, not hers. Into like the next level, assuming you've learned what lessons you were here to learn. And I asked her, like, what, like, what happens? Is there an ending? Is there a top? And she said, yes, but only two people have ever reached that level. And she said it was Buddha and Jesus. So that was really interesting to hear, and it was actually right in line with. Uh, I'm sure anybody that's interested in this in, in anything paranormal that really kind of dives into multiple subjects, or I should say, the at least for me, uh, because I have broad interest in all sorts of angles of this uh, field. So it's like when I read about like near death experiences, for example, and then I hear about uh, past life regression therapy. When I hear about reincarnation. There's there's parts of all of them that kind of overlap, so it's really interesting that they kind of confirm each other in different ways, and that's what really makes uh, it really solidifies like and informs how I really believe in what I believe because it, at a certain point it just feels like things don't become coincidences after a while after hearing multiple stories and hearing how things overlap. And one thing I also asked her, I said this was definitely off camera. I said, like, how do you deal with people who like try to diminish what you do, who don't really believe and just, you know, cast aside that you have any validity in what you do? And she said, I don't care. I don't, my business is not to worry about their opinion of what I do. I'm here to help people that want help. And I, and I always loved it. And I don't know, and it's such, uh, such a great answer. And it's such a common sense answer, but I never really heard it that way. Yeah. And when she said it, it just, that helped me because, and I don't know where this comes from for me. Maybe it's like the acting part of me, but I want everybody to believe what I believe in that way. You know what I mean? I want, because yeah, it's yeah. like, to me, there's so many things that seem so obvious, but they're just the paranormal uh, research and study, you know, I'm sure it's it's come leaps and bounds from where it was in terms of being accepted, and it's always growing. But it's like I there's just so much consistencies and things that are in common and stories through generations and cultures that to me it's just like there's stuff going on that we're not admitting to, uh, and we're just having a tough time believing. And I've always wanted to just be like, why don't you guys believe? Like, look at all this stuff. Yeah. And when she said, like, it's not her job, it's like, don't worry about what other people think about it. You're just here to help other people who who want the help and who want to experience. Don't worry about the people. They're never going to. So I just really loved that, just that little anecdote. Now, that kind of wraps her up in, in, a, in a nutshell. Visually, for people that haven't seen the film, she's not this crazy looking maniacal or voodoo or whatever woman. She looks like your aunt or something, you know. She's got her yeah, dog with her and she's just very kind of charming and very not like over the top. She's just very and having a conversation with her is like, you know, smooth. It's like drinking a glass of water. She's really very easy to be comfortable with her. Absolutely. So yeah, so she really was uh, a a good person to talk with. 
Hello, listeners. We interrupt this podcast for some shameless self-promotion. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hello, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Reading, PA, Chicago, my kind of town, Beverly, Mass, Gardner, Mass, Auburn, Mass, Burlington, Ontario, and Manhattan, my favorite cocktail. In New York, not really. You're the top ten listening locations. Keep on, keep on listening. Our Afraid of Nothing podcast has over 2,300 episodes dropped. Mostly in the U.S., but also in 23 other countries. Thank you, merci beaucoup, gracias, and thank you in a million billion ways. Our documentary is also killing it on Amazon Prime. Ah! Sure, sure, we have a few haters out there, but you, our faithful listeners, you're the ones that really matter. So thanks, big thanks, mega thanks. Hey, these are tough times, and we have to keep each other positive and entertained. Okay, last plug. Do check out, as in check out, buying the merch from the Afraid of Nothing online store. That's aonpodcaststore.com. Just because no one can see you aren't wearing pants doesn't mean you can't be wearing a cool t-shirt. Okay, back to the show. And, and the next person, the last leg of your trip was with a, a witch in Salem called Lori Bruno, where we went to her shop called Magica. And she actually did a little bit of a reading on you and she picked up on some stuff. So I want to have you go first and then I'll fill in if I, if you don't remember stuff that I, I kind of recall, but let you go first and how that went. Yeah, you'll, you'll definitely have to shore me up on this one. I remember her, I, I, funny enough, I remember that she was saying, she knew that I didn't, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And she picked up pretty quickly that I did not really care for my life in Los Angeles, which was cool that she noticed that almost right away. New York. I see New York. You shouldn't be in L. I see New York. And you said, yeah, you grew up there. You remember that? Yeah. That now, now, now I do. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she did mention I had something with the Salem witch trials as well. I don't remember the details. Off the top of my so head, though. I can, I'll throw out something and see how you, uh, she saw, a, well, she, you had a farm, you lived there, you know, she definitely put you there, basically. I don't know if she said you were married or not, but you had a farm, so you're pretty well to do. And she saw a noose, a, a hangman's noose. Right. But it was empty. And she said, she wasn't sure, does that mean that you escaped being killed? Yes. Or does it carry on with you as you go forward in your life, which could be based on what you're feeling. So yeah, so- I'll pause there and let you add. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How could I? Yeah. How could I forget that? Yeah, the noose thing. That was that was a such a like a stark image as she described too. Yeah. How could I forget that? Um, yeah, the noose, the empty noose. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting to think about like what that could mean. Just you know, even based on like what Ruthie had said, was I killed back then? Was I was I hanged, or was it like something? Or did my like soul or my spirit uh, escape like a certain death, or did I help other people, you know, escape that death? Or yeah, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, she was cool. I mean, she she covered some other things too, but basically, those are the those are the big takeaways. But yeah, I mean, her thing was, and she didn't know your background. She just knew that you we were going to do the interview. But I mean, my takeaway was she knew that you weren't happy where you were. She knew that you were here. You lived here a long time ago, and then knew. So those were three big things I thought were great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, what was it like, you know, in terms of your expectation? Because you come and you show up for one day. We walk around. You're a, you're a good guy. You're actually even carrying equipment with me as we're trekking around um, Salem. <laughs> and then you're, you know, a year and a half go away, and then you finally see what the film is like. What was your? And you actually even filmed a uh, kind of a, a section that we use at the end too. What was your anticipation, you know, being on the? Because look, it was very low budget. It's like you know, a sound person, a cam- one camera guy, me, right? That's it, and you. Mm-hmm. And so it's a leap of faith for you to do this. What was it like being involved that day and then seeing it with all the stuff you've been in since then, you know, America, with the scene with Tom Cruise, The Walking Dead, all that stuff. What was it like a couple of years later to see it? And did it rekindle any feelings or what did you think about it? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> see that the uh, the low budget stuff is the uh, kind of the run and gun guerrilla filmmaking. Like that's my favorite still by a long shot. I always tell people like, 
it's it's refreshing when you get to work with people who like and enjoy what they're doing. It's kind of for the love of the game because a lot, you know, especially on some of these bigger productions, it's uh, I'm sure people got into the business because you know you want to be part of the industry and make movies and make cool stuff. But along the way, like you just kind of see people who've been beaten down by the industry who are kind of just there for the paycheck after a while, which I totally get it. I'm not mocking that at all. But it just you, you kind of feel it after a while of of people just kind of lose that love of the game. So it's uh, it becomes you feel the business aspect more than more than the show part. And the show is the the fun stuff. Honestly, doing this, I was really excited because documentaries are my favorite thing to watch. You know, argue uh, well. There's an argument with horror, I suppose. Yeah, me horror too. Films. Same thing. I, yeah. yeah, those yeah. two. Yeah, those two. And so being a part of a documentary in Salem, my favorite place in the world, and I get to be in it like, I mean, it's it's the ingredients of a hit in my mind. (laughs) Like, uh, no, I love I loved it. And I loved walking around Salem with you guys. It was was such such a blast. And then the anticipation of watching it. um, Yeah, I didn't know what to expect because I think even you've described it as uh, kind of not, you kind of have a general story you want to cover or general things, but you don't know like what the full story going into it is. So it's like, yeah, I don't know what the film's going to be about. And also I, I remember like we, we tried to film certain segments there and I was just, was like, I couldn't even put three words together at a certain point at the end of the day. I'm like, what do we do? Like, what am I saying? Like, what's happening? I know. Yeah. yeah. And that's why that little part at the end where I'm back in LA and I kind of sum up my experience for the day. That's what we were trying to do in Salem on that day, but it just wasn't working. I don't know what happened. Actor brain fried or something. But it's better. It's better to have you kind of 3000 miles away or whatever. Reflecting. <laughs> so it worked out good. I thought. Yeah, it worked out nice. And I just didn't know, like after that long of a time period, it's like, how am I going to come across? Even when I do watch it, I'm a little like, well, it doesn't feel like I feel like I lost some of my personality, but that's neither here nor there because it has nothing to do with me, you know, that film. I'm just part of it. You know, it it gave me a chance to be a lazy director because you just experienced it the way you want, you, the way you, you basically just had carte blanche to talk to each of those people in those three segments. There was no direction saying, hey, Carl, ask this or what. You just basically, with your own curiosity, fueled each segment to get what you wanted out of all three of those segments. So sure. that was kind of interesting to sit back and let you just kind of carry the interaction, which I thought you did good. It's hard when you're just like in a situation like this and you're trying to know what you want to ask and what you want to get out of it. But uh, yeah, to me, that was good. That was basically you just going, that, that's all you in, the, in those, those section in terms of that interaction. There was nothing kind of staged or anything. That's you finding out in your journey what you wanted to find out. Yeah, it was. Uh, but I was really pleased with the film. And every time I, I watch anything paranormal related, like I get excited. It's, it's something that I've for a long time, even before I went to Salem, like I was always into ghosts and ghost stories, but it was nothing I ever really thought about much. And then over the years, I guess it's been a couple decades now at this point where the interest just continues to grow. So whenever I watch or read a book, it feels like I'm fighting against getting more involved in it in a way. Yeah. I think you've had a similar experience in that way. like Because you feel like you've done so much or I don't like to say you, but I feel like I've done so much uh, outside of that, and you know, especially like uh, in terms of being an actor and how much I've put into my career as an actor. It's like part of me just wants to be like, I want to focus on something new now. I want to follow this growing interest in the paranormal, and I feel if I do that, then some of the acting stuff I feel in a way to walk away from it feels a little weird. Uh, I know I could balance them, but there's just like this urge that's always inside of me. And it always happens and it's like the impulse grows bigger when I watch a film or read a book about it. It's just like, what am I doing? I just need to go, you know, investigating. I need to, to I need to show other people these experiences and, and listen to other people's experiences. And that's always happening. Well, it definitely comes out. We've had a lot of conversations, emails and phone calls since the film came out. I did this podcast series just basically because I wanted to keep it going. I made the film. It's kind of expensive and time consuming to do a documentary, but I wanted to keep it going. And so I did a podcast and I just started interviewing more interesting people. And you had reached out 
part of why, why I wanted to get you on the show was one was because you were part of the documentary, such a big part of it, and was such an interesting kind of segment of it. But also because going forward, I mean, we're talking about, we mentioned Ruthie Larkin, but I you kind of talked about having you do some segments too. So why don't we just talk a little bit about that, kind of what your interest is in terms of going forward and doing some segments and kind of yeah. some, some of the people that you would like to interview. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I really love that you're doing this and that you're continuing the film with a web series. I think it's awesome, and I think I don't know what your goal for it is, but you know, I see like a, I see eventually moving into maybe some video, maybe throwing some like investigations into the mix when you get like on YouTube type of stuff, and just growing the podcast and also you know some of the videos. But yeah, I, I definitely want to participate as much as you will allow me <laughs> and, 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 you know, talk to some, some guests. And there's some people over the course of my years that I would, I, I would like to chat with. And one person in particular, my ex's sister, she grew up uh, sensitive. She explained it to me that she was, she didn't, growing up, she had always seen ghosts and, and was able to communicate with them, but she said she couldn't control it. You know, she didn't know how to turn it off, if you will. When she was 25 or so, she actually went to school in, I think it was London or somewhere in Europe anyway, where she was able to, I forget the school and I wish I could remember where she was able to like enhance her abilities and, and, you know, learn to control them kind of like a, sounds like a X-Men school type of thing. And so she was, she went to the school and then she returned back to New York where she lives and she opened a, a business as a psychic. And she started, you know, getting clients in New York and communicating between, you know, being the liaison, if you will, between the alive and and who they wanted to speak with on the other side. And after a while, she said she just had to stop. She closed the business because she wasn't having fun doing it because she said a lot of the people she was meeting in New York would come for information and then they would end up leaving the sessions and just being, uh, again, these are my words, bitter in a way that they didn't get more out of the experience. Um, they, and some of them that came for help, just didn't have a experience where uh, they left the session and then didn't really do anything afterward with what the advice that they were given. So they just became very bitter. Yeah. So it really weighed down on Therese. I was going to say like New York is a hotbed. I mean, as an empath, it's like a hotbed of like, negative and positive and crazy energy. That's like throwing yourself into the fire pit right there. I mean, she probably almost would have been better even in Salem or someplace like that. You know, did she ever, you ever well, yeah. she in the city, do you know, or was she just in the state? I mean, she grew up in the Bronx. So, wow. you know, that, that was her home and she, and she's actually, uh, she's Filipina, which they have, you know, that culture has a much different understanding and view of the paranormal and, and, you know, and spiritual life. Like it's a very regular part from my understanding of their lives. It's not, it's not like a question. It's, you know, it's just, it's just part of, of their life. So she, uh, like I said, it was just accepted that she uh, was able to experience this. Nobody in her family really questioned it, you know, and they, they have other stories about different, you know, there's, I forget the name of them, but there's uh, these little dwarves if you will that live like just on the edge of yeah. the grass and if you ever if you ever step off a sidewalk for example into like a, a a little forested area they apologize to say i'm sorry if i'm stepping i can't see you i'm sorry if i'm stepping on you i don't mean to cause you any harm but it's just like an accepted thing like it doesn't nobody thinks somebody else is crazy for it it's just part of their culture that's kind of refreshing because i've talked to a couple of mediums that were adopted or were in Christ, raised in christian families and it's like how do I tell people <laughs> what I'm, that I'm seeing yeah. dead people and things like that? So that's good. Now, does she leverage it at all? Or does she just ignore it at this point? Does she just went on to something else? And does she ever like, you know, pull a pendant out or anything or a Ouija board? Or is she just, just try to like set it aside? I'm not sure. I haven't spoken with her about that topic in a couple of years anyway. I should ask her. But as far as I know, she kind of just shut it down. I don't think she's just, I'm, a, I'm assuming she still, you know, has her abilities probably still experiences some, but she probably controls it. 
Yeah, I, I think you're going to have some great stories. So one, just because of your contacts, one of the people I had on before was uh, a couple show- episodes ago was Laura Marini, who's a producer, and she did the Haunting of series, which uh, was on the Travel Channel, uh, I don't know, five, six years ago, which was like celebrities that go to their houses, you know, <laughs> and then they, they would share where they're like T-Pain or people like that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah who, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to see if you can, you know, any of your kind of actor friends, but also you ran an Airbnb and you get some interesting guests. So I'm, you know, we're going to see if you have any stories out of that and and some other things as well. Oh yeah, and I, we mentioned Ruthie Larkin. We'd like, we'd like you to interview. We'd like you to interview her. But you know, t- turn the tables. Who knows? Maybe she'll give you another reading. But that's one thing <laughs> we're going to be setting up in the near future, which is great. Yeah, I um, I definitely looking forward to to speaking with Ruthie again. And yeah, that uh, the Airbnb beers that I've had here. There, there's this one gentleman in particular, and I'm hoping I'm hoping he'll talk with me because he had some of the most uh, like exciting experiences that I've ever heard uh, directly myself from, you know, not reading a book or watching a film, but just listening to his, his story. You know, he basically, he basically experienced a angel and demon battle literally in front of him to the point where he turned, he just had to turn over because he didn't know he was, he didn't know what was happening and he was terrified and he turned away from it. And he just, the description of the event is like nothing I've ever heard. And, you know, he said he was really scared to even talk about it. And he doesn't talk about it. It's just, he explained, you know, as we all know, his uh, in his circles, it's just not something that you talk about because he's afraid he's going to sound crazy in front of his friends. And, and he was nervous to tell me about it. And he said, you know, he had goosebumps while he was telling me the story. And it was just an insane story, and I would love for him to share that again. Yeah, those are some of the best stories, you know. So, yeah, it's cool. So, yeah, I want to let people know that going forward, you're going to go off and take your microphone, or you'll either go live, or you'll as you, you'll you be kind of a guest host on occasion and, and sharing some of your content. That would well. be awesome. So that would be great. Yeah. Look forward to it. Yeah. yeah. A couple more questions, if you don't mind. When you sat down to watch the documentary, what was your uh, – because you didn't see the other people that were in the film until you saw the film. What was your kind of like the, it was kind of an eclectic bunch. What was your thought kind of watching like from little frog to, to Mike Markowitz with the EVPs to Jeff Belanger to, you know, Bob Berman, the scientific angle and all that stuff. Was that kind of um, threw you for a loop or what, what was it like seeing that knowing that you're in the documentary with those guys? It's funny. I actually thought, I wish I was cool as all of them. That's my first thought. <laughs> I did. I really did. I was like, man, I feel like um, I feel like I'm just this dude that doesn't really do anything except walk around and ask people questions. <laughs> and I felt like everybody, everybody else had such a. Uh, um, I don't want to downplay everything too much, but uh, I think I feel like everybody had such a great contribution to the film, especially like some of the science. Like I'm really into uh, the science of things. Because, you know, that's, I think, of all things, the, you know, people, people just basically put their faith in science um, and they point to science as, as like the end all be all of, of what they choose to believe is real and whatnot. Some of the, the guests started talking, you know, with uh, very intelligently and articulately subject. It made me very excited. I'm like, I started to pause it, uh, write down some of the things they were saying, rewind it, write down some things, just because it's like stuff that I, I going forward, want to be able to discuss in a more articulate way and more intelligent manner. Because, um, you know, that's the stuff I just really love hearing people talk about it. Yeah, that was that was the tough co- connecting that. That was, you know, quantum mechanics. And that was uh, the double split experiment. Editing that was so hard because I had to like, you know, review the transcript four or five, six times and make sure if I cut out anything, I didn't like misrepresent mm-hmm. something yeah. because it was a little over my head at times, you know? So yeah, for me, that was a leap of faith having kind of the science kind of angle within the spirituality and the paranormal because in these paranormal shows, people sometimes just want to ghost hunt. Sure. They don't want anything else. And so this, we did things a little bit differently. What's your favorite? If you watch the travel channel, if you have, if you have time to watch TV, maybe now you do, I don't know, but uh, is there kind of one or two favorite paranormal shows that you really like? Yeah, there's uh, I mean, when ghost hunters with taps first came out many years ago, I think I was in college when that came out, that like was a, a life changer because uh, I'm sure there were shows before that, that I was just unaware of. But it was like at that point in my life when, like I said, it was after going to Salem more and just becoming more and more interested. And then Ghost Hunters comes out and it's like, oh my God, these people are doing, you know, what I like excites me in my heart. 
So that's always been a favorite. And then multiple shows over the years have come and gone. Ghost Adventures was something I was kind of lukewarm about because as you know, it's like, I always felt like if it's on TV, there's always got to be some sort of entertainment angle. They need the audience. And as anybody would know that's in into this stuff, it's like the majority of your experiences, if you're out on a, an investigation, like there's not, there's sometimes you can spend an overnight and nothing will happen yeah. or you don't really experience anything. Uh, and yet in all these episodes of all these shows, it seems like something's happening every single episode. So I was, I was always a little turned off in that way where I was like, how much of this is really entertainment value? How much is created for the, for that angle? But, you know, after a while, uh, and Ghost Adventures is, is, has certainly become one that I, I really like. And uh, I tried to actually go see, they had a panel at Comic-Con last year. I go to Comic-Con every year. And um, that was surprisingly, I got in line about an hour before the event and it was already completely sold out. And I was like in this other line and I was still like 300 people behind the reserve list. So I was like, there's no way I was going to get in. But uh, so I was a little sad by that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I love all the shows that are out there. I even love some of the shows that aren't specific to ghosts that are also into like some of the cryptozoology stuff like Bigfoot and aliens. Like I love that stuff too. Yeah, there's uh there's a the uh, expedition expedition Bigfoot. I was trying to get Ronnie LeBlanc on, but he we had technical troubles with him too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to reschedule. He's actually from Lemonster, Massachusetts. Oh, cool. He was I don't know if you saw Expedition Bigfoot. It was on last year. It started around December, but there were a crew that went out. There was like three or four of them, including a scientist. One person got sick, and so they called him in, and he got to finish out the series. With yeah. Him, so, yeah. It, you know, it's funny. You talk about these TV shows. I'm trying to – it's called The Dead Files. Mm-hmm. I like the show a lot, but, man, it's like – it's not just one ghost that they deal with. It's like, you know, it's on an Indian reservation, and then there's a murder that happened, and then there's there's like these little goblins. It's like four or five things thrown in, and they do pictures at the end. It's like – the ghosts now are like they've really amped up the <laughs> sure. you know how, how distressed people sure. are on some of these shows, which is entertaining, but it's a bit you know, I mean one ghost is enough, right? I mean, right, like it's crazy. So yeah, I was thinking, well that's like <laughs> I was thinking that yeah too. yeah my brother is like a super into anything Bigfoot and Sasquatch and like that's his that's just his thing, but he's not really into anything else. It just seems like he's just into Bigfoot, and it's like his wife, <laughs> she can't stand like that he believes in it and, and whatnot. And like, she always gives him such a hard time. And, and it's always funny to me, like I told, again, going back to like the science thing, it's like, until there's quote scientific proof that Bigfoot's out there, obviously there's still always be people that just will, you know, I feel like the majority of people will just always deny its existence, but it's just, it's funny to me because it's like, there are such strange creatures in the world. Like uh, one day I was looking this up and it was like, a couple that come to mind was there, there's this like there's these creatures called sea cucumbers which live on like the ocean floor, and yeah, and yeah. they whenever a predator comes near, they they have the ability to poop out all of their internal organs which are toxic, and they shoot their poop of these organs at the predator, and because they're toxic, it kills the predator, and they're able to do this because they they grow all their organs again. Wow. So, but it's just an odd concept, right? And it sounds, it sounds like it's so against anything that we would ever like believe a, or, or a but there's just like Avenger so, character or something, you know, like one of those B horror movies yeah. from whatever. And there's such strange, there's such strange, strange creatures out there that do such weird things. And then, uh, and it, that sound on paper too unreal to, to be real. And yet we we're sitting and just like, we can't believe that there's a, a creature that's basically walks around like a human that's just like a, a ape and it's like that's that's hard to believe yeah when we have such bizarre creatures in the world so it's it's always a, a, an ironic uh funny thing to me I yeah mean, the ocean what 90 percent of the ocean isn't even <laughs> knows what's going on no that's that's what i was reading supposedly we have like the the, the entire ocean or something has been mapped out however 95 percent of it is unseen by human eyes yeah it's just like the universe <laughs> and and it's like and at the same time, anything under three miles long, we can't see. It's not big enough for us to see. And if you think about like, I mean, three miles is a huge amount of space. And you know how many bizarre things can be in in three miles? Like, it's, it's such a, a strange thing. 
Yeah. What I find interesting about you, Kyle, is that you have through psychics this past connection, but you're kind of like a lot of us and like you're seeking. I mean, there's some psychic pointers telling you that there is something there, but you haven't quite had that total concrete evidence yet. So in a way, you're a searcher like I think a lot of us are. You're probably ahead of us a little bit because you at least have some starting markers that have been put out for you. So what is your goal going forward in terms of the paranormal and what do you hope to accomplish and what would you like to do in the next three to five years? That's uh, it's, it's interesting to even think about that. It's like one of those, what do you want to do with your life? Uh, Putting me on the spot with that. (laughs) Especially in the past three months, how how things change so quickly, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting you picked up on like the part of me that is like a, a seeker, but without proof. I definitely find myself in this weird juxtaposition of I find myself being a a believer without a doubt, but at the same time, I know I have to be skeptical because I know that there's a lot of danger in just blindly believing in everything without questioning everything. I think that's the most important part is to question everything because if you can't answer your questions, then that leads to the belief. So it's it's like I am. I'm definitely looking for some some experience that's just undeniably real to me. And I feel like I've seen other people's and and I trust other people's stories. And you know, even some of these shows, for example, it's like I feel like I've seen enough to know that there are things going on. It's just I haven't had a personal experience. And then at the same time, I've had a few experiences but I'm able to justify that something in the back of my head says, well, maybe that wasn't what I thought it was. I might always do that. And I don't know, maybe I have experienced something, but I've already justified it as not being an experience. And so I don't know how long that game will play unless like some spirit stands in front of me in full form. It's like, maybe that's the only thing that'll really do it for me. I have no idea. Yeah, I think we'll definitely do some explorations. I mean, I've went to like the Conjuring House, but during the day, not at night. But And even I think some of the guests like we'll probably meet on the show will probably mm-hmm. maybe lift a veil. Who knows? But uh, hey, thank you for being on the show. Sure. And actually, I look forward to like seeing what you come up with for some future shows and uh, what you come up with your perspective of Afraid of Nothing. So I appreciate your interest and I, I look forward to seeing some of the stuff you uh, you kind of bring to our audience. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited to uh, dive in on some of this and really appreciate that we met and we were able to do this project together and that we're continuing the relationship. I'm excited that it happened. Yeah, I think we're both seekers and I think, you know, hopefully we together we find something. So thanks again. And this is, you know, look forward to working with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. You've been listening to the Afraid of Nothing podcast. Please subscribe and like us on Facebook. Until next time, stay scared. Hey, you're still here? Great. Then why not listen to another episode? Visit afraidofnothingpodcast.com to peruse all the shows. That's afraidofnothingpodcast.com. And while you're there, click the coffee cup icon to buy me a coffee and leave a review. I'll give you a shout-out in an upcoming episode, and the world will know how swell you are.